Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to the men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of earth? It says, he who, also, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he may fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood. I'm just going to throw that in there. ESV, don't say it right. I like the, the New Living Translation. But it says, to all mature man and womanhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer, so that we may no longer be children tossed and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, therefore, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into himself, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. It says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Amen. We're going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump into this. I know. You go ahead, baby Gwen. Amen. Um, we'll pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have to come together as one body in unity in our local congregation and local church. But God, also thank you for the unity that we have in our community with our sister church, Resurrection, but also with the other churches all across the city today, Lord. God, on Wednesday, we had an opportunity to have so many pastors and ministers and people to come together who love our city and community. And I'm thankful to see this unity here on the west side of Charleston. And I pray and we know that as we continue to work together and build the body of Christ, as we learn together in correct doctrine, as we learn to love and learn to understand that you are our God and your spirit dwells with all of us, that we don't look at the things that divide us, but we look at and we understand how we are being built together into your body and how do we edify each other through the word and through our faith unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm going to be using my phone a little bit because I have a lot of notes that I took on here and kind of texting myself. Tommy, I texted you a note. This Tommy's not even in here. I texted a note to Tommy. He's probably thinking, like, why did I have this random note that was given to him over this week? But um, Paul in the book of Ephesians, as, as we're shifting to chapter 4, we are seeing from him teaching about how we receive Jesus Christ and how we are unified as individuals and how the Gentiles are also brought into the right standing with Jesus Christ and unto God and how we are to live in unity with each other, he starts to shift to how does the church body work in unity? When we speak about the church, I'm not just talking about Risen City or Resurrection or Metro or Shepherd. We're really looking at the mandate on how God has called us to be one body of Christ and that we are all believers in Jesus Christ. So when we talk about church, when I was in youth church, they would always say the big C church. So what that means is that when we are all together in unity and when we are all functioning together as believers in Jesus Christ, we are all a part of God's church as a whole. Um, the biggest thing I believe, and I've, and I've said this for years, is that 
the biggest detriment to the church, the biggest detriment to God moving in our nations and in our cities aren't people who don't believe in God. It's not people who, who sometimes are portrayed as evil and unrighteous people or, and are fighting against us in the gospel. We're going to have that in life. The word says that. We're going to have people who are not going to believe. That's okay. But the word does tell us and it teaches us that we are to live in biblical unity with our brothers and sisters. One of the biggest detriments is that people see the church and they look at how we can't work together as one body. They see how they may say the church downtown is disjointed from the church on the west side and they never function and work together. If the world sees disjointedness in the big C church, how are they going to believe and understand and come to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is? So as we are believers, we have got to be grounded on understanding that our life is to be a reflection of Jesus Christ as we've bound ourselves to Christ. But we also have to understand correct truth in our doctrine so it affirms our faith so we are not pulled away by other things that are going on in life and other teachings that may pull us away from what it really means to live for Jesus Christ. So our goal, and when we kind of teach through this through um, chapter 4 and verses 1 through 16, we're going to speak a lot about how Paul is teaching the church, how there's one body, how there's one hope, how there's one faith. And also then he teaches us on how we need to be firm on our foundation so we're not pushed away by incorrect doctrine. And then he says at the end of this, he affirms that we've got to do it with love and we've got to correct our brothers and sisters and work in unity with love. It doesn't help us that we may hear someone teaching something that's incorrect and then we try to beat them upside the head and tell them that they're wrong. So there's biblical conflicts are normal things that we've seen in here. There was a point in the Bible where we see that Paul is teaching and he's going against something that Peter, an apostle, the rock and the firm foundation in which, which Christ was building his church, Peter was teaching something incorrectly about the Gentiles, but Paul was able to debate him and to teach him and to correct him with love. So as we're living in our community, as we're connecting with other churches, as we're, we're living and we're understanding what our, what our pastors and our preachers and teachers are giving unto us, it's for the correction so that we can grow in true maturity. Amen? Amen. I know I could probably just leave right there. This is one of those things that the word sometimes just teaches itself. I'm going to try to make it a little bit shorter today because I said, I told them I'm trying to be a good Southern Baptist minister. We all need to go to IHOP and um, Golden Corral and what's the, little, what's the place in Canal City? Country something or another. Cracker Barrel. Man, Lauren, I feel like she's been craving some Cracker Barrel. She's been like cooped up in the house. I need to take her to Cracker Barrel and get some country fried steak. Can I get an amen for country fried steak? Amen. That's southern, southern country fried steak. We may just need to make a trip after this. I know she won't eat the country fried steak. I'll eat it for her. She'll get it and, and she'll keep her sides. So, so here we go. In Ephesians 4, the first three verses are just a reminder that Paul was reminding the church to walk in a manner that was worthy of their calling. He was reminding them and saying, hey, listen, as we are the body of Christ, God is giving you a specific way in how we are to live our lives. I meant to say this last week is that we don't need to look at some of the, the teachings in the Bible as the do's and the don'ts, but more so as this is a road path for us so we aren't pulled astray by what the world has. You have rights as humans and as individuals and as believers. I have a right to run across the street at any point in time that I want, but if I get hit by the car, it means I'm not exercising the right wisdom that I have. I tell my kids all the time, I say, you can choose your actions, but you cannot choose your consequences. 
You can choose your actions in which how you live your life, but the consequences in which you then have to deal with, if it's positive or it's negative, are going to be a result of your action. So Paul is really, he's just encouraging the church. He's saying, listen, as we are living this walkout, as, as we're going to live as Christians, as Jews and Gentiles, we have got to walk with humility with each other. I've got to humble myself for my brothers and sisters. I've got to learn how to, to walk with gentleness and patience. And I was talking and praying about this earlier. I'm not good at that, y'all. I'm, I'm getting there. But I've got to have a special amount of grace for those as I bear with them for the situations that they are going through. The situations that our friends and our families may be going through, it doesn't mean that it, when we look at it from our perspective, it may look like, oh, that's not as hard. But it doesn't negate from the fact that it's something that they are going through and that we need to honor their situation and the life that they're living in. And we need to do so in a loving manner. So as we're walking and we're living in love, Paul continues on. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in your bond that you have with peace. So then he, he jumps forward in this. So we're going to have kind of three different sections here in Ephesians 4. He talks about how we're one body and one spirit. He gives some basic doctrinal truths. And then he also then jumps forward and he talks about how the giftings that were given by Jesus Christ were the apostles and the prophets and the teachers. And that was meant to build up the church so the church can grow in maturity and unity. And then he also talks about how we should do so in love. So we're going to talk about doctrine. We're going to talk about how we live in maturity with Christ. And then we're going to talk about how we do it in love. Can y'all say love with me? Hey, look, look at this. We're getting good at this, guys. I like this. Just, you can say love for me. You just snuck in the door. You got to say it for me. All right, good. All right, appreciate it. So Paul the Apostle, he starts to teach here in verses 4 through 7. And he says this. He says, he says there is one body... And there is one spirit, just as you have been called to one hope that belongs to your call. And he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father, who is over all and through all in all, by grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says that he ascended on high and he led a host of captives and he gave these gifts to men. One thing that we, when we get to this and we start to think about in our preaching and teaching is that some people think that learning of doctrine is inherently divisive. That when you start to talk about basic doctrinal truths, it's something that people want to debate. I tell people all the time, I say, I don't like to debate things. I'll debate you if I need to. I can be good at it. But I don't want to debate things that are standards. So what Paul is really teaching here, he's saying, hey, there are some basic doctrinal truths that are not debatable, as he's teaching here in the Word. There are going to be things in the Word that we have got to come to an understanding as we are growing in unity, because if these aren't the basic doctrinal truths and our firm foundation, then we will be pushed in a straight away, because we truly aren't living according to who God really is when we look at correct theology. So as we're looking at things, people think it's inherently divisive. But it is people who create divisiveness and divides in the church. Whereas the knowledge of the Son of God, both in our personal relationships with Jesus Christ and the understanding of all that he did and he taught, it edifies us and it brings us into a place of maturity and it sets us into a place of love. I'll repeat that one more time for he's kind of quotable. Some people think that the learning of doctrine is inherently divisive, but it is people who divide the church. Whereas the knowledge of the Son of God, both in Christ 
personally and in the understanding of all that he taught and that he did is edifying. And it brings about maturity when set and forth in love. So what he starts to teach here, he says, these are some of the basic biblical truths. And we're going to kind of touch on these things that there's, if you're taking notes, there's one body, there is one spirit, there is one hope, there is one Lord. And because there is one Lord, there then are two things that are results of that. There's one faith and one baptism. And then there is one God and Father who is over all. So there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there is one Lord, and because there's one Lord, there's one faith and one baptism, and then there's one God and one Father who is over all, who works within us. So what this means is this, is that unity also presupposes basic Christian truths, and that Christ's body can only be, um, can only be connected into biblical truths about Christ. So as Paul is teaching about there being one body, what he means is that there's one congregation. One, well, I'm sorry, there's not one congregation. That There's a body of Christ and that we are a local congregation within this body of Christ. That means our brothers and sisters, as we talked about how we're all broken pieces. We're all broken people. We're all individuals who congregate together in different churches. And there's value, in our, there's value in our diverseness within our congregations and our preachings and our teachers and our pastors, the apostles. And we're going to get to that later on. And there's value in us connecting with our brothers and sisters. I felt so edified Wednesday when I got to go to Metropolitan and I got to meet with my brothers and sisters who were in Christ. Um, Reverend Shiloh, he said this. He said, listen, he said, Pastor Farm ain't going to yell at you like I do and preach and teach and stuff like that. He said, but he's going to teach you something. And there's edification in what we are learning from each other as pastors as long as it's done in correct doctrine. As long as it's done in correct doctrine. The way that we can say and know that we are one body and that we are learning from the correct doctrine is that we understand that there is one spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in which we are baptized in when we receive Jesus Christ. Because he says here, as was one spirit, it says, by whom we are all baptized into one body of Christ. So when you receive salvation, you then in that moment are regenerated by the Spirit of God. That means you were brought back into the right standing as we were in the Garden of Eden. That means that we are no longer far away from God, but we are brought near as a new man. And his spirit gives us life. And that same spirit that lives in Jesus Christ helps us to overcome the world around us. The situations that may feel insurmountable. That spirit that was in Jesus Christ, it lives in me and all believers around us. There is no different levels of the spirit that you have because you go to a different church or you are gifted with different gifts of the spirit. That same spirit lives in each and every one of us. But he may manifest in different gifts that we see. As we, we teach a little bit, you'll see that Paul then speaks about how the spirit and how God gives us people like pastors, preachers, and apostles. And when we get into the book of Corinthians, it talks about how there are, are different spiritual giftings that people may have as a special measure in the grace. But the same spirit that is in me lives in each and every single one of you all also. So then he continues on. He reminds them that we have one hope that belongs to our call to Jesus Christ. No matter what church you go to, if we are doctrinally living together in unity, our hope is that we know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. We may worship differently. 
Some of us, we may, like, you know, sing some arpeggios and sing. Like, my brothers and sisters, every other pastor I know can play the piano and sing. And I'll be up here like, when the music fades, insecure, singing worship. I feel a little different sometimes when I talk about my brothers and sisters. But the thing that unifies us is we all have the same hope that Jesus Christ is going to be our returning king. It's our hope that we remember in Ephesians 1 through 3 that we were not abandoned when sin came into the equation. It's the hope and the knowledge and the belief that when we had sin in our lives, that Jesus Christ pulled us out of that pit and he gives us life and he regenerates us and he helps us every single day. Not just did he die on the cross for us, but he's going to return as a reigning and ruling king. And as we live, and our hope is that we put our faith into Jesus Christ, even when it's hard, even when the world around us isn't worshiping God, that we continue to trust in the basic faiths that we have, that we are one body working together, that his spirit is regenerated us, and our hope is that Jesus Christ and the knowledge that he is walking with us will continue to keep us, and he will return, and that we get to enjoy heaven with this king so as he continues on, he reminds us that there's one Lord, there's a monotheistic faith, and we talk about this in the book of Deuteronomy. But because there's one Lord, that then results in two things because of that. Then there's one faith that we have because we have faith in Jesus Christ and our God. We're not pulled astray, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, by other doctrines and teachings. But we also have one baptism. That means that all of us, when we are baptized with Christ, when we receive our regeneration, we are baptized in his spirit, but then we also outwardly, as a sign of our faith, we are actually baptized in water. Now, this is where people get tricky and doctrines are all over the place. And this is when you start to see things in doctrine where people separate and they divide themselves. Because you got people that say water baptism, or I'm just going to sprinkle you real quick, or I'm going to baby baptize you and stuff like that. Sorry, that's my alarm. I don't know why it's going on. <laughs> there are differences in what people believe in baptism, how the outward way that baptism should work. Paul is more concerned also, more, he's more concerned with your spiritual baptism in God and the Spirit. He's more concerned that your life is immersed in his Spirit and that your life is a true reflection of who Jesus Christ is. He, he's speaking these basic biblical truths because I, I believe he knows things that Jesus Christ had spoken about about how there are going to be times when there's going to be people who are going to speak wrong doctrine about what the Word says. This isn't anything new because Jesus had to fight against the Pharisees and the Sadducees all throughout the time that he lived on earth in his three years of ministry. They were incorrectly teaching doctrine, and it was dividing the church, and it was putting burdens on people that they did not need to have. Jesus Christ came to unite us and to give us understanding on what the word and what the law meant. And as he gave us this understanding of what the law meant, he united us by his blood so we can live as individuals and also corporately to worship God, to bring many people to Jesus Christ. The individual and the diverse gifts that we have and that we are going to seek here in the Bible is ultimately to bring people in unity of faith into Jesus Christ. All the gift things that we have together, everything that we bring to the table is so that our community and other people out there will understand who Jesus Christ is. 
but as a whole, as in one body in the church, if we don't understand these basic doctrines, these basic teachings, then we are lost and asunder because we'll be pushed and swayed away by what other people may say. If our faith is not in Jesus Christ alone, if our faith isn't built on his firm foundation, when we walk out of this building, we can be pulled astray because we're not growing in maturity. Paul tells us, and he teaches us here in verses 11, we're going to skip down here, that he then gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. People, they call that the five, you know, like the, the five-fold ministry. I had the old pastor. He taught me a lot about this. He's like, the five-fold. You got your fingers. It's like the apostles, the thumb. It touches everything. Like the five-fold. Anybody ever heard of that? Like the $5 foot long, the five-fold. Okay, maybe it was just me. He teaches about the five-fold ministries. And what we have here is that he says, I've given you the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are people who were put into places of ministry and authority over the individual churches. I was one of those people that did not believe that I needed a pastor, an apostle, or a shepherd to be able to help me maintain my spiritual individual life. I'm, I'm, not, I'm that kind of person who, who talks about how there should be a, a level of basic biblical understanding by individual church members so that they should be able to maintain their faith in their life. And that is 100% correct. I do believe so. But the order that God has given is that we are to submit and be underneath the shepherds, the apostles, the apostles, and the teachers and preachers. But that also means that the standard by which I live and everybody else out there has got to be that we are teaching biblical truths and doctrinal truths. I, I want to make this case. I want to make this statement. I'm going to tweet it later on. I, I did it yesterday. But I pulled it off. I want to make sure it sounds a little bit better. I, I believe this is that if we as teachers are teaching correct biblical doctrinal truths to mature our members in the word and in their personal relationships with Christ, then they're not always going to need the pastor every single week to encourage them. They're not always going to say, man, I need that pick me up on Sunday. Oh, I, can't, I, I, I just couldn't make it until the next Sunday. No, it's because you're going to be taught basic biblical truths that you can take home. What, what I feed you right now is not to sustain you during the week. What the pastors are giving you in a sermon is for you to be able to take home and pray to Jesus Christ and be able to say, God, help me to grow in biblical understanding and truth. Help me to be edified by the word of God so I can grow in, in maturity. So I then can bring something of worth back to the church also. My job as a pastor is to preach and to teach and to be able to equip the saints. And that's going to be my main priority. And I remember last year I had to repent because I said I wasn't doing a good job of that. And I had to learn myself as my role in this body of Christ. If I'm not doing what I need to do as the thumb or the finger to be able to reach and to teach and to preach, then I'm not going to be able to edify the church correctly. And we will not be able to serve this community rightly if I don't focus on knowing and learning doctrinal truths to teach to the congregation. My goal in life is this, is that you all are able to take the word of God and you can walk out there in the streets. And when somebody asks you a question, it's not, oh, come to church on Sunday and you'll get an answer. It's, no, no, let me live this out with you real quick. Let, let, me, let me pray with you real quick. Because I, I know that the pastor maybe talked about this on Sunday and I went home and I read about it for myself. 
and because I know what the word of God says and I have that same spirit living inside of me and I have that same power that Jesus Christ had in this moment, I, I can pray for your situation. I, I, I can bring some edification to your life because I know the word also. Too many times we see pastors who don't preach true biblical doctrine, false teachers and false prophets who are more concerned about their own well-being and maybe the monetary gain of a church or maybe even, even in, in the false teaching in their, own, in their own misdirection, they believe that they may be teaching something correctly, but they don't give the church the tools to truly be able to go out and change the community. I can't do this on my own. I want you all to grow strong in faith so strong that when you all walk out of here, the enemy isn't just going to be like, oh, it's risen city. I'm not going to go in there. It's, oh, I see these people walking out of the church and they know that God's spirit lives inside of them and they are strong enough to take on anything that comes up against them because their firm foundation is not in what Michael Farmer is teaching, but it's in what the word of God says. We can work, we can teach, we can feed, we can do all of these things like that. The Bible says in Matthew 7, there's going to be many people that say, Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your favor. We casted out demons. We fed people. But he's going to say, depart me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. Because they didn't invest in a personal relationship. Jesus Christ, as he was teaching that in Matthew 7, he was telling him, he said, hey, listen, you have got to listen to my words and apply them to your life. You've got to listen to what the pastors and the preachers and the apostles, all those people are teaching. Because you have to have a firm foundation. Because I'm not always going to be there when you go to school or to work or to wherever it may be, the grocery store, whatever it may be. But our goal is to equip you guys so that you're strong enough to do so. And as a pastor, I believe as you were teaching correct doctrine, I don't want to coddle comfort. There's going to be times when the pastor and the preacher is going to teach things that are going to feel uncomfortable, that may be misunderstandings. Jesus Christ, he told his disciples, he said, listen, if you believe in me, you're going to have to eat of my body and drink of my blood. And people were just like, what? And they stopped in the moment in the Bible. I have to get specifically where it says. It stopped in the moment in the Bible, and they were like, many people departed from Jesus Christ because they didn't know what he was speaking about. In Jewish culture, you don't drink someone's blood, much less eat somebody. We ain't Hannibal Lecter's out here, like liver on the side with some fava beans. Like, that's weird. And I can imagine when they, when, they read, when they heard that from Jesus Christ, they were like, I don't understand this. Jesus, what you talking about right now? But the true disciples of Jesus Christ in that moment, you know what they said? Jesus Christ looked at them and said, are you also going to depart? And they said to him, to whom else, will, else would we go? Meaning that, as you are following your leaders, as you're following people, as you're following us, please have faith that we're teaching correct biblical truths. But you also have the word of God for yourself to be able to step in and say this is correct and this is incorrect. I learned more as a pastor from talking really to Megan and Tommy and stuff about stuff. They help me out and they edify me as a pastor as I'm growing also. So the hope is that we grow as a church to learn from each other to, to be able to say, I, I learned something new this week. I remember you taught me something right before service. I didn't even know about that. Megan, I was just like, man, I said, I got to go back and read a little bit of scripture and get my life right, make sure my kids are saved. But we have got to learn to grow in unity with each other under this leadership and development. So he continues on, he says in verse 12, he says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ 
building up the body. Paul then kind of goes back to this, this metaphor of the body of Christ. Um, in chapter 3, he really talked about how we're building the church on the firm foundation. Now he's talking about the body of Christ and how each and every one of us has different functions as the body of Christ. I'm a nerd, and um, I used to watch Power Rangers all the time. And there's this thing called Death Battle. I don't know if anybody's ever watched it before. It's really dope. But it kind of like combats these like two like two similar things together. And in this death battle thing, they were talking about like the Power Rangers Megazord. I'm getting really nerdy, y'all. I'm sorry. I got a point to this. The Power Rangers Megazord against Voltron. Y'all know who Voltron is? The lions. They fight. I didn't know this, guys. Think about this. The Power Rangers Megazord, they all got together in the head and they, they did the little machinery stuff. In, in Voltron and stuff like that, when the, part, when the parts came together, and like there was a lion foot, there was a lion foot, a lion hand and a head, the individual parts and the individual pilots would be within the feet, the feet, the hands and the hands and stuff like that. So it was really weird to me to think about that. I'm like, so you've got this body and you don't necessarily know that the head wants you to move in sequence with each other. So it would be like, like me, I'm an arm and Jim is a leg and Sam is another leg or something like that. And we've got to try to work in unity with each other to know how to walk. If I'm not working and I don't have the same understanding as my brothers and sisters, I'm not going to be able to walk right. I'm going to be walking like left foot, right foot, left hand on my head. Hey, hokey pokey now. And we laugh about that, but that's what the church looks like when we don't walk in unity with each other. When, when, when we have different biblical truths and we're not all on one accord with each other, it looks like that. And that's what the world sees when our brothers and sisters, when we're not working together. Jesus Christ has given us all the tools to walk in unity. Paul is telling them, he's saying, hey, listen, we've got to be one body. We've got to be one spirit. We have one hope. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, our Father, so we can walk and function in this world in unity together. I've said this, the biggest detriment is not going to be the non-believers out there. It's going to be false prophets and teachers who try to divide the church. Why? Because the enemy, if he can divide the church, then he can divide us in not believing in Jesus Christ and God. Listen, non-believers, he, he ain't worried about the non-believers. He's worried about those who are strong in faith, who can edify and grow the church because the power of the church and the power of Jesus Christ has already defeated the enemy. We only defeat ourselves. Like we talked about, there can be divisiveness in doctrine from what people believe, but it's people who divide the church. Jesus talked about this in a famously misquoted verse. I hate it when people quote this verse. They said, well, the enemy going to come and he going to steal, kill, and he going to destroy. And everyone's like, hey, man, the enemy, go ahead. Let's go, let's go kill that enemy. When people read that, they refer to the enemy as Satan. What Jesus Christ was talking about was the enemy was false teachers and prophets who infiltrate the church. What he says is this, and what he actually teaches is he talks about how the wolf is let into the sheepfold and how the shepherd allows the wolf into the sheepfold. As a shepherd, my job is to make sure and to maintain the church and to make sure, make sure the correct biblical doctrine and teaching is put into place. So that means is that as a shepherd of the church, and then what Jesus was giving as an analogy, he's saying it was the shepherd who looked the wolf into the sheepfold who then destroyed the sheep. Jesus Christ was saying, hey, listen, the enemy is the one who comes and teaches incorrect doctrine and 
divides the church and destroys the church. The enemy isn't always working. Satan isn't always working in those who are in the world. Satan can work within those who are within the church. That's why we have to have accountability to each other so we can grow in maturity. As we grow and as the pastors are teaching and preaching, I believe that if the church isn't growing in biblical maturity, then the church isn't growing as it should be. I am more concerned with us saying that we have 10 to 20 members who are strong in the knowledge of what the word says than having 3,000 members who cannot tell you what the word says of God. I don't want people to come into our church and they say, I left feeling good, but they can't tell you what Bible verse we read from. They out here like, we was reading from 2 Corinthians. Like, whoa, what is 2 Corinthians? I want us to be edified in our word. So he says that we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry and building up of the body until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity in manhood and womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God is giving us, Paul is giving us correct doctrine. He's then saying he's given the church pastors and the preachers and the teachers to be able to grow the church. And then so we can grow in faith into what the doctrine and the teaching says so we can grow in maturity with each other to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed and frayed by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. What he's saying is that you're going to face issues and trials in life. And what many of us do is we get to a place where we try to build our life on the firm foundation of Christ and Jesus Christ and stuff like that. But then we also start to try to edify our lives. We try to get comfortable with what we do with the gospel by adding on other teachings and preachings and things like that instead of staying firm on what the word of God says. Sometimes it can look like it's more comfortable for us to be able to say I'm on the firm foundation of what God says for my life. And then maybe there's a teaching that's a little bit difficult for us or maybe that teaching convicts our heart. Maybe that teaching is what the word says and how we should live in unity with each other. But it's easier for me to take off of this foundation of Christ and be able to say, well, maybe I also heard this other pastor or preacher say I should live this way. And you change your foundation on what Christ says and what he does because you're believing it on maybe a prosperity gospel. Or maybe you've based your, your teaching and preaching on a different kind of Trinitarian understanding of what, how the gospel works. And when you start to do that, what it looks like is that you allow human doctrine into your situation in life. And what will start to happen is when the winds and the torrents and when stresses and things come in your life, you start to then be hit by those things. And because you're not built on the firm foundation of God, because I can be hit by something in life and I can still sustain my relationship on the firm foundation of God. But when I start to live my life on other people's doctrine, I then put myself into a dangerous situation because as the winds and the torrents may come, I can't maintain my stance. When you then start to take down the standard by which Jesus Christ has taught us to live, and you then say, I'm going to live maybe by the gospel of Dr. Phil or Drizzy Drake or Nicki Minaj 
or, or whatever this person may say, I should live my life. I start to live on an unstable, firm, unfirmed foundation. The thing about it is you can, you can kind of sustain yourself on this for a while. I got a little bit of room to move. I got a little bit of room to function. And it says this also in Matthew 7, as Jesus is talking about building on a firm foundation, he really equates it to building on your life on a firm foundation and living on a sand foundation. He says, the wise person built their life on a firm foundation of Christ, and when the winds and the torrents came, they were able to sustain. But the person who built their life on the foundation, which was like sand, which is doctrines of the world, and by humanistic believing, they weren't able to sustain, and then they ultimately will fall over. I just wanted to throw a chair. That was just my opportunity to throw a chair in church and stuff like that. Sometimes I forget we're on live, and the live's probably just like, what in the world is going on right now? Probably is crazy. So as he's teaching this, verse 14, he says, Don't be tossed and froed by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So how do we, in these moments when we may hear something that's taught incorrectly, you know what we have, um, um, we have a tendency to do as Christians? When, especially for me, I was really bad about this. I had to like, when I became a Christian, I became like Jesus Jr. I was like really weird and I locked myself in my house for a year. I needed this. I locked myself in a house for a year. Um, and I remember I just read through the whole Bible. Like every single day, it was almost kind of like weird. I was like writing on my walls, like this is what the word said. And I was like reading and I was studying in such a depth. I needed, I needed that though for the ministry that I was going to be doing. But what happened was I also then tried to start to speak the truth of the gospel to people, but I did it in a way that was offensive. I did it in a way that also put down people. I did it in a way that um, I didn't speak in love towards my brothers and sisters, but I did it in such a way that I was so hype and I was so excited and I just had all this energy that I was putting down my brothers and sisters and I was judging them for the lives that they were living and the ways that they were living their life. There's going to be times when as we grow with mature believers that we can address doctrine and ways that people are living their lives with another mature believer, maybe very directly in that moment. But as we are learning to grow in this body, we've got to learn to address people and correct people with love. Love is what is going to bind us together. Love is going to help us in the moments of time to be patient with our brothers and sisters when they may believe something in doctrine that may be wrong or maybe they're living a life that may be incorrect. Because something that my mom taught me, she said, it's not the individual or the pastor that changes a person. It's the Holy Spirit that works within us. Because if we're one body, we're one spirit, that same spirit that is convicted inside of me, I pray also convicts that person when there may be an incorrect thing that they're doing in their life. So Paul says in, in verse 15, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, says we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head in Christ Jesus. So we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head unto Christ Verse 16, and we'll finish up here if you want to do a song. I'll hold the baby if you want me to. I miss holding my baby so I can hold that baby. Um, it says this, from whom the whole body joined 
and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We want to build ourselves up in love to each other and with our brothers and sisters. So what we have got to learn is that as we are growing as Christians, as we are working with our, our brothers and sisters and the saints and everyone else around us, as we have opportunity to share with those who are non-believers who may not understand who Jesus Christ is, we've got to do it with love. We don't ever want to sway away from what biblical doctrinal truths are, but we teach people in a way that gets them to understand that the, that the goodness of God leads a man to repentance. That there may be a doctrine or a way that somebody may be living their life, but it's the Holy Spirit that's going to make that person change. But we've got to love them to death in every aspect of our lives to bring them to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. I don't want to be that Bible thumper that's on the corner like, and you going to hell, and you going to hell, and you going to be the lead minister in hell. Because the Bible tells us, he says, hey, listen, you always want to call out somebody else's speck in their eye, but you don't see the log in your own eye. We've got to grow in spiritual maturity to know what the word says so then we can learn also to teach like Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ, when he saw the woman at the well, who was a believer because she talked about how they were going to worship and where they were going to worship. So she had some understanding of what was going to happen. And she had an understanding of Jacob's well. He didn't come in that moment and be like, oh, you know about Jesus Christ. And you know about how I'm supposed to come. Why are you, running, why are you misleading your life? Why are you living incorrectly? Why are you having all these adulterous lifestyles and conversations and stuff? No. He came with love and understanding and gentleness and kindness and patience for that person's situation. And because he was able to do so and he spoke life and value to her, she then was able to have the Spirit of God work within her to bring her to a place where she understood that the life she was living and the doctrine that she was living by was wrong and incorrect. And then she also went out and she told other people about Jesus Christ. That's the exciting part about what we're going to be able to do in our community is that we're going to love people that the world has deemed unvaluable. We're going to love people who maybe don't look like everybody else around us, but guess what? I'm excited because my kingdom that I serve with Jesus Christ is going to be diverse. It's going to be young men and women and black and white and Puerto Rican and Asian. It's going to be everybody from every tribe and tongue and nation. It's going to be people from different backgrounds. It's going to be people who were drug addicts. It's going to be people who were alcoholics. It's going to be people who had mental upheaval. But Jesus Christ is going to bind us together by his blood and by his love. And we are made and we are perfected in our one faith because we are one body one spirit, and we are one hope to the one call that we have because we worship one Lord with our one faith and one baptism and the one God, the Father, who is over all. Amen? Amen. I tried not to be preachy today. Man, I was preachy. I'm sorry. Sorry. So we're going to go ahead and do our last worship song, and we'll be dismissed.